Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. My name's Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear by taking it out of the driver's seat, step more fully into the essence of who you are, and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. Today, my guests are Lily Taylor and Tara Moore. Lily is an Emmy-nominated actress, writer, and birder, best known for her work on projects such as Mystic Pizza, The Conjuring, Six Feet Under, American Crime, and her one-woman show, Birdland. Tara Moore is an expert on women's leadership and well-being, as well as an author and coach. She's best known for her book, Playing Big, for creating the global Playing Big leadership program, and for appearing on media such as The Today Show and in The New York Times. Lily and Tara have a creative mastermind. Together, they have teamed up to share their insights, stories, and lessons learned about creativity, personal growth, and empowerment through a series of online conversations, which is currently live on Tara's website. I wanted to have them on the show to discuss the power of a creative partnership like they have and what it means to really play big. I would consider both of them experts on and ambassadors of creativity. And so it's nice to be in conversation with people who have a similar mission statement to you. They have excellent tools and tricks to unleash your inner creative. And I'm so excited for you to hear them and start using those tools in your life. From our conversation, you'll also learn how to reclaim your creativity after it was stolen or lost, how to stop comparing and despairing, how to tame the inner critic, why creative partnerships expedite success and what to look for in one, how to follow the flow of creativity, what playing big is and how you can start to play big in your life today, tips for handling criticism and why you should never read reviews. Now here they are, Lily Taylor and Tara Moore. How do you both come to claim your creativity, which I know is a big question? And then at what point did that path that you were each individually on intersect? You want to start, Tara? Sure. Yeah. So I think I, I really claimed my creativity fully as a young child, or maybe as a young child, we're not even claiming it. We're just living it because it's natural for us. And Um, My early childhood was full of make-believe play and dance, and um, I was lucky to have a mom who, you know, would bring out a big slab of clay and just say, do whatever. But I definitely lost my creativity along the way in school through the systems that, that caused many of us to lose it, being graded, being told, you know, that piece of art was a good drawing and not Mm. that. You can win an award for your poem or not, like all of those messages that take us away from just the natural joy of our creativity. So for me, I really lost it more and more through school, college, graduate school. And I often say I I had after after college and graduate school, I had a seven year sabbatical from writing sponsored by Mm -hmm. my inner critic, where just those critical voices took over so much that I wasn't writing or doing many of the other creative things I love. Um, And so the claiming I think came when I, when I found my way back from that, that was about 12 years ago now. And and once I did that reclaiming, you know, so far as an adult did that reclaiming as an adult, I haven't, I haven't looked back. Beautiful. And Lily, what was your journey? 
You know, it's so funny you said claim because I was just thinking last week about if my if my kind of creativity or healthy exhibitionism had been taken from me or if I lost it as a kid as at like around 12 and I feel that it was taken from my dad and so for me it's been a process of claiming it and I'm not even close to being done Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just in the very thick of it right now but I can see the light I can see the light but it's it's very it's really painful claiming it Mm, yeah I feel that one it was so interesting because I was and I want to talk about how your paths intersect but just to go on a little diversion I was watching one of the live videos you both did together and it was really interesting because Tara you talked about how from the outside looking in, Lily was so embodied in making these bold choices and just going for it. But for you, Lily, you felt like you, you were sunken inside in some way, like you hadn't stepped out to be the person that you knew you really were. And I think so often we make all these assumptions about what someone's inner life is, but something way different like going on beneath the surface. And I, I love that you say you're in the thick of it because – it is a journey, especially when it's something that was taken from you. Yeah. And even if it had been lost, I guess it's mm -hmm. still a journey, right? If for those who are listening who it wasn't taken but lost or you never knew it was there, it's still it's still a journey. And there's ebbs and flows and there's, you know, it, there's moments where it feels like I'm not going to make it. You know, I'm not, I just, I'm not going to get out. I'm not going to get through this. But the good news is at the end of the day, you, you usually get through at, by the end of the day and you hit your head hits the pillow and you got through. And, and I really went through a period two weeks ago where I was workshopping the piece of me trying to claim myself. And there was, there was feelings like I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't know if I can tolerate this, this, this intensity. And I did. It's like, you know, you've realized the feelings are not the facts you know, even though they seem it. And then the other thing, another slogan I want to just put out there <laughs> is the compare and despair, which gets me into so much trouble, you know, and I love hearing when other people are human, you know, that humanness, because it's like from, I'm usually from the set of mindset of I'm comparing and despairing. That's like kind of my default. Mm -hmm. When you're in one of those modes, when you are doubting whether or not you're ever going to be able to get on the other side of this, whether you're going to ever be able to claim it. How do you talk yourself off the ledge and convince yourself that you got to stay with it? I think it's by doing it. Just step by step. Just step, by, just get through the next minute. Get mm -hmm. through the, make, make it manageable. What do I need to do right now to try to get to the next minute? You know, and, and in my case, I had a piece I was working on that I had committed to that would have felt like a transgression if I turned my back on. So it's maybe it's like getting to a commitment point with yourself where if you didn't show up for yourself, you'd know you weren't there and it would be a drag. It's <laughs> a great way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tara? 
Hmm. So it's so fascinating to hear. And I think, you know, it's like we each have our own vocabulary for how we think of our inner life. So I'm like translating now, what are those moments when I feel, you know, um, can I make it through? And I, I think for me, where that doubt comes up is maybe some of the patterns that I've dealt with my whole life. You know, it's like, oh my God, here we are still with this set of eating issues, or here we are with this body image thing back again, or, you know, a fear in some particular area. And that's where I can get like the ones that are really old. That's where I can get like, is this ever, am I ever going to make it to the other side of this thing? And I think for me, that's a place where I really draw on spirituality because to me, one of the, the sort of principles of that I would say is in my spiritual life is like new things are always possible and change is always possible. And like today really is a new day. And if I can connect enough to something larger than myself, I can experience some change and renewal. I like that. So when you're kind of experiencing your ancient problems, go back to your core beliefs. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and that that's one that we can, that's one that I have experienced, you know, to be reliable, that if we really show up with real like willingness and curiosity and a desire to connect to the truth and to something larger than ourselves, like things will move in some direction. So when did you move in each other's direction? When did the this partnership come to be birthed? How how did that process happen? It started with me finding Tara's book through a friend who had been rearing children and not doing her thing. And she wrote a play and I didn't even know she was a playwright. And I said, how did, how did you do this? Tell me. And she said, well, I found this book playing big and I got it. And, and then I saw that Tara offered courses. So I thought, well, I need more. So I'm going to take this course. And Tara was also starting this meetup thing where you work together virtually before everyone knew about Zoom. Tara was already doing that. And I was confused because I'd gotten the, my emails got mixed up and I had thought that was the course day. And I was actually there for a meeting up day of, and everyone was quiet working. And I was, and I was in my rehearsal space and I didn't understand what was happening. And I kind of had a flashback to acting class when you're they're doing an exercise and you don't know, understand what everybody's doing. Yeah. And it feels like you, you didn't get the book everyone got. It's very scary. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm bad. So I actually started to hide under my desk in the rehearsal room because I was just like, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm, I don't understand what's happening. And, but then Tara saw my name and she said, wait, is this, are you Lily Taylor? And I said, wait, is this? Wait, Tarek, will you take it over from here? How did, yes. you, how did you say it? What did you say? <laughs> Why did you hide under your desk instead of just turning off your video? I've never heard that part before. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> she needed to make sure there would be no sight whatsoever. Like moment, moment of overwhelm. She couldn't take any chances here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, and I, so, and I don't always know everyone who's in the courses, especially if they don't come on live and stuff like that. So I hadn't known that Lily was in the course. I hadn't known that Lily was in my orbit at all. And then one day on, on the co-working 
those sort of co-working meetups that Lily's talking about where we, we all come together where everyone's on camera and sort of work side by side to help hold each other accountable and all of that. I just saw the name Lily Taylor pop up. And at first I said in my head, oh, Lily Taylor, like the actress, like, oh, that person has the same name. And then Lily sort of flashed on video and actually, the first time you flashed on video, I think you were walking walking through the street in, in Manhattan or something like that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Lily Taylor. That's her. And I was so excited because I knew Lily's work. And I had especially really um, fond memories from girlhood and seeing Mystic Pizza and just this experience of kind of like not couldn't have articulated it at the time. But looking back, it was like so much intrigue for a young woman to be like I'm seeing like kind of someone who looks like me on the screen like actually for a petite brunette girl with curly hair you never saw that actually in any movies and then like she had a strong voice and it was like a female character driven plot and so that had meant so much to me as a girl and I'd watch that film over and over again and um and so I was just thrilled and then we and then we started a conversation and, um, and I was very, very struck by exactly what you were saying, Lauren, that how is it that this woman that we think of as giving these, we know her to have given these very fierce and brave performances and would think of her as this, you know, had had this consistent career long playing big. What, what, what is this telling us that she feels it's time to play big and there's a playing small struggle that's been going on. Now, once I heard that, it didn't surprise me because I now it's like, I actually have heard that again and again and again, as you're saying, we, we don't, we don't really remember, even though we keep learning that all of us are playing small or hiding in insecurities or turning away from our dreams in some way, but we keep forgetting and so we started a conversation about that, about our playing small, what we both still struggle with, about creativity and, and making art and with integrity. And it was just a very, very thought-provoking and juicy and meaningful conversation for both of us. So we kept going with it. I love that. And I think it's so interesting because just anecdotally, like with the podcast, I know that I've only had my greatest success when I've had somebody else working with me. Like nothing else changed. There were, and they weren't even, for my instance, they weren't even doing that much. I think it was literally just having another human being with the same goal. It's a mastermind alliance. Things start moving. And so I'm curious, like, because either of you and both of you could have very easily kept going in an individual direction and probably been fine and had great success. But what is it like about this partnership and about a partnership in general that can make a creative project that much richer? And what should we look for in our creative partnerships? That is such a great point. And some, I'm so glad you're highlighting that. And that's probably a big part of this show because I think that I think that is crucial the older I get. And I realize a lot of my projects did not happen because I was doing it alone. And my first one that really happened is it, it happened because I was, um, this guy said, you know, you should do your own show. And so I started transcribing this audio 
he said, well, why don't you send that to me once a week and then we'll Skype and talk about it. And just having that, that reflection back, the mirror neurons, you know, the, 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 the looking at another human being and having yourself reflected back, you know, is, it was, was kind of life or death for my creative project. And I really experienced that and, and got it from my head to my toes in a way I hadn't in from, you know, 19 to, to 50 to whatever. And so around when I met Tara, it was like, it was like still an idea, like a construct, like, I think you need another human being, you know? And so I thought, well, I, I think then I should take an action on this. You know, it was still very like thought, like logos, like intellect, but I, I was consciously taking actions on following through on, on like investigating, following something. Someone tells me the name of the book, follow the book, follow what she's saying, follow more of what she's saying. She says, let's, let's talk, say yes. Then why don't we try to do this? Just say yes, yes, yes. And so I am finding that on some level, find somebody on, and however it is, if it's just them reading your thing or hearing your idea and in regards to what to look for, I think like, do you feel, do I feel myself mm-hmm. when I'm talking to them? Do I feel like they see me and, and, and get me or because if I don't feel that, I don't know if I can, I'm already have such a problem trusting myself. I don't know if I can get to that thing, you know, like a champion, you know, Tara, Tara talks about that in, in her book, you know, finding those, what's your, is, do you use champion? What word? Champion. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Tara. Mm. I mean, I'm a huge extrovert, which, and I struggle to honor that mm. fully because I also love working independently. I love writing. I am an only child. So I grew up kind of as a deprived extrovert and sometimes <laughs> just stay there. Yeah. yeah you too. <laughs> I was always talking to my beanie babies and my Barbies, like trying to have friends in the house. <laughs> it does lead to like a lot of elaborate imaginative. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. I'm sure we could swap yeah. some great stories. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's so energizing for me when I'm in conversation um, with people and, and with Lily, I just constantly feel like, like even today was a great example where as Lily's talking about, did I lose my creativity or was it taken from me? Like, that's a whole new thing I want to think about. And, you know, so I think what I, what I really appreciated I mean, we know this, I think, from Lily's acting performances, that she's a very, very present person and um, has a certain kind of honesty that she brings. And so I've always just really felt that in our conversations. And I think that's what's made them very exciting is she's really listening and responding. And um, and it just has, I feel like there are so many topics where if I just went to think about them by myself, I just go in my little rut, but the conversation has opened up so many new ideas and a new world. Um, but I feel like I'm in my own process of like trying to weave that more and more into my life. Like even today, I just, this morning I did a dance 
workout on Zoom with a friend where we like screen shared the dance video because it's not going to happen for me otherwise. Like I need that relationship and the accountability to move my body, to move my body when it's 80 degrees in my house, you know, like especially, and it was so joyful and wonderful. So I, I'm just like constantly learning new ways to bring that relationship and accountability in more and more. And I keep rediscovering like how much it helps me. I'm curious though, since you are a writer, how do you incorporate the idea of partnerships when you are on a solo mission like that? It's tricky. And it is tricky for me, I think, because I'm used to writing and also because of being an only child, I still, it's not totally smooth territory for me to figure out how to be creative Mm. with others. And even in writing a book, that was a challenge for me. Like, how do I protect my voice and my creativity as I let an editor in or an agent in and people are packaging this material and um, there's an industry side of it that I have to mm. interface with. And that's hard for me that I, I, I think it's challenging probably for all creatives, but it's, a, I, I feel I'm really quite tender and vulnerable about it. You know, for example, some people can write a pitch and get a book deal and then write the book after they have the book deal. I I can't really work that way because I can't be in that unknown creative of creating the material with an editor over my shoulder and knowing I've already been paid for this work. So I better produce it. Like that's all too relational for me and my creative process. I like to like write it, get it how I basically like it. And then I'll talk to you about it. But, you know, on a typical day, I'm not going to do writing for more than a couple hours max. And I think that's, we might expect more of ourselves, but most people are not, if they're writing, they're not writing more than three hours. So you've got the rest of the day to fill with people. Yeah. And I'm sure you've got, you know, people in your corner that you can give it to and be like, does this resonate? You know, and that's kind of where the partnership comes in. There's a couple things that you both said that I really want to break down. Going back to the idea of your creativity getting taken from you versus you losing it. To me, this is also attached to the inner critic, which is attached to what uh, Julia Cameron calls creative monsters. And that's, you know, somebody in your life that takes your creative spark or joy away from you or taints it and makes it not pure like it once was. So I guess how have you worked on recovering from your creative monsters? And then how, I mean, this is like a two-part question and it's deep, but you know, oftentimes I feel like it's those people's voices that gets rebranded in our own brain as our own voice. And so we have to like figure out how to take that voice away. How have you worked on overcoming that creative monster and then figuring out how to debunk the inner critic, which is often their voice rebranded? Myths and fairy tales have helped me a lot with that. Today, I was just thinking of Sleeping Beauty, and I was thinking about, because I fall into passivity a lot. I mean, a lot of actors, if, with acting, it's it can happen, because we get a job, we are given the lines, we are, you know, it's very easy to, to fall into passivity, and I probably have it anyway. And I thought about, that I relate to the fairy tale Sleeping Beauty a lot, and just thinking about it, and 
going into the symbolism of it. And, and I'd forgotten that it's about envy, which is a big part of my story too, is that um, she was put to sleep because that awful woman wasn't invited Mm -hmm. to the ball. And then that other nice godmother woman made sort of a compromise and said, well, don't, don't kill her. Just, just put her to sleep for a hundred (laughs) years and contain her. (laughs) Um, That's all. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Or the Persephone myth, uh, Hades abducting Persephone. And really there's a lot of people who, who talk about myths and help bring them into some sort of understanding for today, you know? And that's really helped me a lot because there's like, there's really profound things in those myths that have been around for centuries that they got back then and that we can still get now and that can help me get through these sort of archetypal uh, circumstances or situations. That's one way through. Dreams. In fact, I just had a dream where a guy kidnapped me. So it's sort of like, in fact, usually men in my dream are either like, rarely are, is it nice? Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually either chasing or, you know, it's just, it's, it's a problem. And, um, it's like that discerning, you know, as you were, as you were saying that, that voice can become so, it's so hard to know what that voice is to discern it. And that's a skill that learning how to discern, sift, taking that kind of, um, how do you cut through the knots of that emotional, cacophony that has come through suffering and work and and it doesn't like just end the work doesn't just end Mm -hmm. I I get like muscles but it's like it's like a daily practice it's like I still got confused a few days ago like I thought the voice was the real voice like I didn't I had forgotten oh wait a minute that's that that's that negative male voice that's probably my dad but I thought it was mine so I just forgotten again so I'm really getting how it's not, it's a continuum. Yeah. I love that you say that because I think so many people talk about, and this is something that I continually talk about on the podcast, but getting healed. I did this and then I was healed. And it's like, well, maybe like to that level. And then you have to level up and then you have to level up. And we have to, if the things that we're learning, it's just constant whittling away at them. So that's so beautiful that you approach it like a practice because it really is that. So, okay, let's talk about playing big. Tell me what this means and how we can all start to do it a little bit more in our lives. Well, my kind of working shorthand definition of playing big is that playing big is being more loyal to your dreams Mm -hmm. than to your fears. And that definition comes from my own experience of, of getting to a place in my life where I felt, wow, life is starting to feel like really grayed out instead of full color. And I feel like I'm kind of just behind a glass and life is happening on the other side. And I feel sad and a little stilted and, and starting to wonder like what happened to my, my bigger or more compelling dreams, some of those dreams, just like to do creative work, to be writing, to be sharing my individual voice. This was at a time when I was doing none of that in my work. And I was in a totally different career and working in the nonprofit sector in something that felt safe and was, and was even reasonably like 
pleasant on an hour to hour basis, but felt like a complete cop out on like my, my real urges and desires for what I wanted to be doing. And as I was really struggling with that, there was a particular night when I was up in the middle of the night and somehow I just got that little like ding of a thought that (laughs) said, we just need to like shift our loyalty from our dreams to our fears. And the feeling around that was like, you don't like, it was very clear in that moment. I don't need to understand exactly what the dreams are. I don't need to have a plan for them. I don't need to figure them out. Like that's not the playing big. The playing big is shifting from I'm the skeptic to myself. You know, I'm here with arms crossed, just being like, that's not going to work. And who do you think you are? You know, I'm going to put every barrier in the road versus being able to say, I don't know how we're going to get these dreams. I don't know if we will ever attain them, but I am at least on my own side in trying. Like so many of us end up leaving our own side. So that for me is kind of the kernel of what playing big is. And that means that, of course, it's really individual because it depends on what your dreams are. And now, you know, having worked with women over the past 10 years on on helping them step into their playing bigger, their it takes every form. It can be my playing big is giving up the career to focus on my kids. It can be my playing big is no longer, you know, being primarily focused on child rearing and taking the job I want. It can be starting the creative business on the side. It can be taking a singing lesson for the first time. It can be asking for a different kind of compensation than I've ever asked for before. It's so individual. It's really like, what's that edge of bravery and desire for you? And then I think particularly for women, just because of our history and socialization, it is often about owning our power and stepping into our power in some way or sharing our voices. These are the things that, you know, we've been deprived of or punished for or taught are dangerous, but that we crave. I love this image because it's like, really, like, are you going to abandon yourself or not? And I think so many of us struggle with abandoning ourselves and feeling like if we choose ourselves, we're being selfish and we don't deserve it. And well, there's that person over there that needs help. I should go be with them. And what would my parents think? So when you're guiding women into, you know, the first steps of playing big, how do you start to deal with some of these stories that we're so deeply steeped in and debunking them and moving on? Yeah. Well, it is the first thing we deal with. And I didn't to start that way. I used to start by wanting to talk to women about, you know, what's your calling? What are you feeling called to? That used to be like what we would do first. And I quickly found like, we can't even have a conversation about callings until we get to all those stories that you're talking about. So I changed the order of things around. And now the very first thing we always talk about is the inner critic and self-doubt because we just get cut off at the past, basically, if we don't have some basic tools for that. And so that's what we start with. We start with this idea that there is a voice in you called the inner critic. That's a strain of your thoughts. And that alone is like a big aha for most of us, because we're thinking, wait, I thought that was just my thoughts, or I thought that was the truth. And it's like, no, that's a voice in you. We can call it the inner critic. 
we can start to look at it from a distance and we're going to start to unpack the ways that the things that says aren't true. They're nothing, they have nothing to do with the truth. It's all about thoughts that will scare you enough to get you back into a comfort zone. That's all they are. So whatever has the power to do that, true, untrue, vaguely true, a little true, it doesn't matter. It's just your system coming up with like, what thoughts can I have that will cause me to retreat back into a comfort zone? Because there's a part of us that doesn't really care whether we're fulfilled or playing big or self-actualized, just wants safety. And that's the part that's kind of behind the inner critic, the feeling of safety and certainty. Um, and so we work with that. And, and just like you're saying, it's lifelong work. We're not trying to get rid of the inner critic. We're not trying to overcome it. We're not trying to become confident. That's not what the path looks like. It looks like we become wise about it. We get to know what that voice sounds like to ourselves so we can have a different relationship with it. Um, so I, I always, you know, take a stand for the goal here is not confidence. The goal is a new kind of relationship with your self-doubt where the thoughts can be there, but you're on to them and you're not taking direction from them. Mm. How do you actually get there though? Like, is it just a matter of being aware of them and like stomping it in its tracks? What is the tactic you advise? It's yeah, and it's really in the moment. So it's when you're hearing that inner critic voice, sometimes it's just enough to say, oh, I'm hearing my inner critic. That's like a mindfulness around it. And that alone can sometimes be enough to unhook. Often it works really well for people to create a character that personifies the inner critic. So you create a little figure and an image and it could be from film or television or books. And then you can, when you're hearing those thoughts, it's like, oh, I'm hearing this perfectionist or I'm hearing professor, you know, professor grumpy pants or whatever you want to call your inner critic. And you've got an image and that can bring some humor to it and like really some distance. Mm. And another tool I really like is, is when you're hearing the critic to always think about what value of mine do I want to have lead me here instead? So in this moment, okay, yeah, here I got self-doubt going. Do I want to lead with the value of honesty or creativity or collaboration, whatever is like a true and resonant value for you? that you can, you can switch to, that's your guiding principle. So those are some of the tools. They're all practices that we use in the moment. Sometimes we remember to use them and sometimes we don't, but we, we remember more and more and we remember more and more quickly. You also spoke about criticism and I think that that's like fear of criticism or a perceived lack of ability to deal with criticism keeps people from going toward their dreams a lot. It also like if you put something out there and then you get criticized in a way that's super wounding to you, it can stop you from going forward in as big of a way. How do you both approach criticism when it comes to like your creative babies? How do you do it in a way that you can take the good and leave the bad, but also protect yourself? What's your approach to that? Well, it's a process. And it's like, I think with each project, it might be a little bit different or each in the phases of the project, it might be different. So for instance, I played big last August and I performed a workshop. And, uh, excuse me, I performed my piece for a group of people and I had a backlash, which I do have when I play big. Sometimes I have not a hangover, but it's just a, something has reared its head after I play big. But 
I appreciate that I did that, but I don't think it was the right thing for me to do. Mm. I only would have learned that by doing it. And I realized that I needed to find just one person to help me find it. Now, that criticism that I got was difficult and confusing to me. And I kind of went down a little bit. So I, I picked myself back up after some weeks and got to thinking. I guess some of what I'm thinking about is, so let's say I, I feel like I fall down in holes a lot. And how do I get a perspective, you know, when I'm down in that hole? Because I'm not, and one thing I was just talking to a friend about today is context. It's, I, I lose context of my life. So when I got that criticism last summer, I, I forgot everything about myself, mm. right? Because I had no perspective. I was in a hole. Of course, all you're seeing is, you know, and by reminding myself of, of the context of my, of who I am, what I am, what I've done, getting some balance back that I'm not just, you know, someone who put on a show that didn't work at all and you should just go back into your hole, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, or right. Yeah. I mean, or maybe, maybe the show was problematic. Maybe there were, but that's not the only thing I've got to get some more elements in here to bring in more of a, a right order to things. Um, so I guess like perspective and perspective, meaning looking to see, to see, and then, and then bringing some intellect in if, if like, like a list of like, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. So that's yeah. just, a, yeah. Oh, I love the way you put that. It does. You you hit the nail on the head, though, because when something happens with your creative project that you've put everything in, it suddenly feels like you have nothing. But that's just not the case, you know. And just to be clear, you mean like you'll look at yourself because I know you're you're. An, would you call yourself a birder? Is that would you consider yeah. yourself that? So you're an avid birder. You've done all these amazing roles. You've got all these other things going on in your life. Is that what you look at, or do you look at the context of the whole play? Is it your whole life or the whole play to take you out of it? Oh, well, I mean, like, the, let's say uh, that didn't go well. The, yeah. The, I did that one woman show. It didn't go well. I'm a failure, complete failure. The context would be I've made it to 50, 53. I got out of, a, uh, you know, I made it through a, da a guy, a dad who was, who was tough. I have supported myself. I'm hitting low. I know I, I could go higher than that, but um, <laughs> I'll start there. <laughs> um, I got dressed this morning. No, like, anyway, but... <laughs> so like giving yourself props for the things that you have done right. And the other exactly. things that you do hold dear and you're proud of yourself for in your life. Exactly. Other exactly. truths. Other truths. Exactly. So you can get more of a, a balance. A perspective. Oh, that's so good, Lily. I'm going to use that one. It's I mean, just, it's, I will. It's just so easy to like, you, you just like forget that anything else exists in that moment. Right. Yeah. Right. That's right. powerful. Tara, how about you? How do you manage criticism, the criticism hole? Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking about that too, because I, right now we're trying to make a decision about a housing thing and I have changed my mind so many times and I can quickly go into like, what's wrong with me? I can't make a decision. And I'm, you know, I'm crazy and the realtor's going to fire us and I drag my family through all these crazy plans. And then it's been really helpful to like actually look at my life and be like, I have made many good decisions that I have been able to stick with for a long time and actually think about them. Like, 
we chose this place that we live in now and we were able to live there for a long time and I have a very long-standing team in my work like I made good hiring decisions and sometimes my decisions do take longer but it was really great to remember like that's sometimes because I'm looking for the really right thing and then I, I actually do make a good decision and it lasts so it's it's very that that piece of context is really similar I think you know one of the principles that's been most helpful for me first kind of came about for me because when I was in college, I went to like a, a very sort of um, old East Coast university and I was an English major, but there was very little actual creative writing in the English department. You mostly studied what other people wrote and memorized it and wrote papers about it and whatever. And they they really weren't poised to support creatives well. And there were a few creative writing classes and I would take these poetry classes and I love writing poetry and it's very um, core and vulnerable for me. And, you know, sometimes the professors would get it, would get my work, and sometimes they really wouldn't like my work and would sort of kind of make me feel like my work was cheesy or too saccharine or too woo-woo or something like that. And in those classes, we were always reading these like male poets whose work was impossible to understand and all that. And then years later, I happened to be on Amazon one day and I was looking, I must have been looking for something poetry wise. And I just saw like they had this list of the best selling poets in America. And it was like Rumi, who's this Sufi spiritual poet, and Mary Oliver who I, whose work I love and who writes beautiful, beautiful poetry, mostly about the natural world in, in pretty plain language, right? That's accessible. And Billy Collins was on there. All my favorite poets were on there, none of whom my college English department would have touched with like a 10 foot pole. That would not have been considered worthy or good poetry. And I was so shocked looking at this Amazon ranking going, what does it mean? How can it be that the poets that the most Americans are actually saying, I want that book in my house. You know, that's the poetry I want to go to sleep reading. What does it mean for someone else to say <laughs> that's not good poetry? What's the definition of good poetry? <laughs> it's not the poetry that lots of human beings want to choose on their own to read. And I just really got in that moment, I don't know that I think there is such a thing as good poetry, period. There's only good poetry in so-and-so's eyes, right? It depends on the listener, the viewer. And that's kind of forever been my take now on feedback is there's no such thing as a good play or a not good play or, you know, um, a good piece of writing or not, or you are a good, even you are a good software engineer or not. To some extent, all of that depends on the context. Who's looking? What do they want? What's a fit for them? What culture are you in? What country are you in? And so that's, that really has evolved for me into, you know, when, when you get praise or criticism, just look at it as telling you about the person who gave you the praise or criticism. It doesn't yeah. tell you anything about you. 
I love that one. That was something. So I'm also a singer songwriter outside of this. And I actually did a whole episode about rejection. I read like the rejections I got on air and cried. <laughs> and but in doing that, what I realized is like I, I thought about food. I don't like raw tomatoes, but I don't go around proclaiming like raw tomatoes are bad. It's like, I don't like them. I just don't like the way they taste. It doesn't make them an inherently bad food. And so I love that because I just think if we can just remember that this is mostly it, like, yes, you have to have some level of talent, but it mostly comes down to taste. And right. you shouldn't let someone else's taste keep you from being the person that you know you're meant to be. Do you like it? If you like it, two thumbs up, baby. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Lily, too, like I've heard you talk a lot about your career and how, you know, you as an actress have to react to criticism in the moment and then perform. And it that is such a mind-blowing thing. I, I got a BFA in theater, so I definitely – I never would have thought of putting it into the words that you put it into. Again, you gave me some great language, but – it is so difficult. And I think the thing that is frustrating with acting and a lot of creative exploits, unless you own like a production company or something, is that you can be awesome, but at the end of the day, some parts of it are out of your hands. And so I wonder for both of you what your experience has been there when some aspect of your creativity was out of your hands or like an opportunity was out of your hands and what your advice would be for other creatives who are struggling with that kind of thing going on in their own journey. Do you mean like, how do you handle when you don't have control over an aspect of it or, or, or how is this tied into criticism? Yeah, I think it's two parts. So one, like how for you in particular, how do you react in those moments? Like how do you like regulate yourself and then do your work when With the criticism? Yeah. And then I yeah. think that the second part is, yeah, like when something is out of your hands, like when your opportunities are out of your hands, how do you stay in love with the work when the business part of it's kind of beating you down? Okay. All right. Well, I I don't know if, if you'd heard this story I told. I haven't told it a bunch, but, you know, I was doing a play with Jean Triplehorn on Broadway, Three Sisters, and she, it was her first play. And she, um, we had all told her not to read reviews because mm. that's one of the first they do not read reviews just don't and she did and she was hysterically sobbing off stage mm. she could not get on stage and the curtain was about to go up and i was pulling her as she's you know in like an 18th century frock and i am too and i'm pulling her, she's like no i can't and i'm pulling her, but like, yes you can and i'm pulling her onto the stage with both my arms and her arms she goes i can't i can't and then i put her down in her chaise lounge and handed her her prop and she's like i can't and then the curtain went up and she was like masha she was the character but I just got chills. I, I know. I love that because it was like, it was like, <laughs> you know, you, you will, you can do it. You can, because the show will go on. The show mm -hmm. must go on, but do not read reviews. Do not. And if a director is t directing you in a way that's like, I've had directors who it's just not helpful what they're saying. It's just like you uh, usually I get along with directors, but once in a while I'm like, you, what you're saying to me is not helpful at all. Um, I'm now in my head. I can't, I need, I, okay, we got to stop right now. 
you know, so it's like, it's like you can stop in the moment and actually talk about what's not working. You know what I mean? That's an option that's available to you. After a show, you know, be having boundaries on what, you know, I know I have a friend who I know they're going to say something negative. I don't see them after a show, you know, so like ways to protect, you have the right to protect yourself, you know, and in fact, you need to, because it's just unrealistic. Even Superman couldn't handle a bad review. Like it's just too hard, you know, or criticism like that. And then number two, what's powerless, I think for me, it's been getting really clear on what I don't have power over and what I do. And to make, to really just get into acceptance about that. I know when they call rap on the movie and I walk away, I have no power over anything. I've Mm -hmm. done my job. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's the director's vision. I know what I signed up for. I hope, but whatever, I'm on to the next one now. I'm going to let that one go. So that's my two cents. I like them. I, I just want to say, because Lily and I have talked about that before and the moments that the moments that she's had of being able to say to a director, this feedback is not helpful or um, even Lily, the words you've used before of like <laughs> what you're doing right now is dangerous, right? To the process or dangerous to my creativity. And when I heard that, I just thought, that was, that was stunning to me because to me, that was such a sign of like, that is a hard one courage that in that moment, right. Instead of just being wounded by the criticism or being like, now I'm off my game and I have to figure out how to fix it to actually understand that. No, it's partly, I, I do have the freedom mm-hmm. to say back to that person. That is not a constructive kind of feedback for the outcome we're all going for here. Um, and to really challenge those that give us feedback to, to be more mindful about the impact it can have, particularly when we're talking about um, about creative work. Yeah, I mean, I think there have been so many situations where I've been given criticism like that and I've just sunk into myself instead of saying something like that, which I would love to. If somebody's having a hard time finding their voice in that moment – I mean, what's a way to like build up your courage to speak your truth when you're being put in an unfair creative situation? Well, I'll speak for myself. Like when I was in that situation, I knew that I, I, I got clear about what my commitments were and are. And I knew that I was going for the greater good here. Like I knew that I, I had done due diligence on creating my character on showing up to the director's vision, on giving it my heart and soul, and getting clear on that, then I knew because I, we're both on the side of the greater good and we both want this thing to be good, in that spirit, that's why I'm saying right now that what you're saying is actually hurting this creative collaborator mm-hmm. that's, that's with you. And we both want to come through this as a collaboration. So we should both value that. So I, I'm wondering if that, if it's about what, what is the relationship you have with that person? What, if, and I guess that'll depend, that'll, that'll, it'll, the answer is sort of going to rest. Like if it's an agent, that's a little bit different than your musical producer, or I don't know what it would be in your case, like right. your 
who like for instance what's an example for you like who yeah you criticism i mean i i'm my music producer is incredible but if i had a music producer who's like some of the other people i've worked with I'm in the not, business I'm... um it would be that kind of situation and i think yeah i i think you have to really realize what drives that person too that could give me courage or someone else out there like what is driving them and what would get through to them and what is really you know good for the greater good I think that's right. that's very helpful. Um, I could talk to you both all day because I feel like we're just all like on the same page about oh. so much of life. I have like a million different directions we can go in. So maybe you two will have to come back. Um, oh, that'd be great. It, it really would be. I just I love what you're doing and I'm so grateful for it. We need more of it because, you know, I really believe that repressed creativity is a cause of so much of the world's suffering. And so thank you for helping people not have to live that burden. But I have a final question. So I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. So for both of you, it's like a two-parter. So maybe you each answer both individually. So Lily, mm -hmm. if you and your little self were standing in the same room looking at each other and whatever age you think of her as, mm. what do you think she would say to you and why? You know a thing or two because by, by resting on that, I think – that's where the endorsement of myself would start. And what would you say to her and why? I'd say I'll do my best and thank you. Beautiful. And Tara, what would you say to your little self and why? Like cherish, cherish this time and don't think you're going to be more or better later because you're all of it right now. What would she say to you and why? Don't forget how much you love being in an imaginary world. Beautiful. Thank you both for being here on Unleash Your Inner Creative and for unleashing yours and continuing to work on it every day and really helping other people do it. It's like the greatest gift you can give humanity and it absolutely changes the world when people can take up space and be their full selves. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you to my guests, Lily Taylor and Tara Moore. For more info on Lily, follow her on Twitter at Lily Taylor and on Instagram at Lily T. Taylor. And Lily is spelled L-I-L-I. Check out Tara at taramore.com. That's T-A-R-A-M-O-H-R. And at Tara Sophia Moore on Instagram and at Tara Sophia on Twitter. You can get her book, Playing Big, wherever good books are sold. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. And be sure to tag Lily and Tara as well to let them know what you thought of the show. You can also pre-save my new song, Freak Show, which is out this Friday, October 2nd, at the link in my Instagram bio. My wish for you this week is that you find a way to start playing big and choose to be more loyal to your dreams than your fears. You deserve it. Have a great week. I love you and I believe in you.